You're about to hear a true story of someone who has taken life's lemons and made lemonade. I am Heidi, your host, and thank you for joining me. Welcome to Heidi's Lemonade Stand. I can't wait to hear all about you and get to know you better. So start out by telling me just a few things about yourself. Hi, Heidi. Well, thank you so much for having me on the show. I'm so grateful to be here and be in the presence of you and your listeners. My name is Natalie. I actually moved from Florida to Utah about two and a half years ago, all based on intuition, and started a new career path as a real estate agent specializing in autism and sensory-friendly designs. Wow, that's amazing. Is there a story behind that? Is that your lemon to lemonade story? Oh, it is. My sister, Angie, has autism. We're about 18 months apart. I'm older. And I was appointed her co-guardian when I was only 26 years old. So having that experience has been a very I, a very stressful eye opener to what parents have to go through in caring and thinking about their loved one with special needs when they're adults. Yeah. What happened to your parents? Why did you have to become the guardian? Back in Florida, we, my dad was really abusive, uh, both physically and verbally. My parents got divorced in 2014. He just abandoned the family. So when it came time to appoint Angie for guardianship, because at age 22, you have to legally um, go through the paperwork and stuff with the state, the attorneys pretty much came up to me and said, you have an option. You can do co-guardianship with your mom or God forbid something happened to your mom, your sister would go back to your dad. And I said, absolutely not. What do I have to do? They told me it would be $6,000, which as a full-time college student and full-time business owner, I did not have. So I actually sold my car and paid for the legal fees for me to be appointed guardianship for my sister at that age. Wow. That's amazing. So now does she live in the same state as you or is she on her own? Yes. So mom and Angie relocated. Okay. I bought a home. And my biggest piece of that was knowing we weren't in the home where we were abused for so many years. So I wanted to create a safe haven for my mom and Angie. That was my big intention and move to a state where for years, because I had worked with a family before that they're originally from Utah for years, I just felt Utah was home. And I always thought to myself, maybe I'll go retire there. Just one day I had this moment at home where I saw my mom and my sister just probably at their lowest. And I said, you know what? we can't live like this anymore. We can't live in fear. Let's just pick up and move. Everyone thought I was nuts. Absolutely. (laughs) My friends and family, everyone. And it has been one of the best decisions of my life was just taking a chance on following where my heart was telling me to go, even though logically it made absolutely no sense and created a home here for Angie. And that's a big reason why I got into real estate and designing is because there's so many families that have the hardship of what to think of when their special loved one becomes an adult and that lifestyle change. So I didn't have that getting home. So that's part of the reason. Yeah. Tell me more about that. I was watching HGTV one day and it's such a typical real estate, you know, yes. Oh, I watched HTV. I want to get into real estate. But what I was actually watching was 
the designers, how they were explaining why certain designs were made. And then I said to myself, why isn't there anyone teaching autism families how to design their homes to impact their child's development? So I went on HGTV.com and I was really determined to submit a show request. And they said, you have to be a real estate agent. And I signed up the next day for real estate school <laughs> and have been in it for the past two years. But it is a dream of mine, whether it's HGTV, whether it's just Instagram, whatever platform that is, I do have a goal to teach families about um, designing and relocating as well. Okay. So what does that look like? Basically with, so I owned a pediatric therapy office in Florida and I helped families evaluate their child's milestones. So gathering all their evaluations from their teachers, from therapists, to psychologists, doctors. And I created a plan around the child's needs for the family at home. And within that, I also helped them design certain spaces to impact their um, developmental progress. So that is the same process I'll do besides the typical real estate consulting. I'll go ahead and do that unique specialized services where I create a plan around their child. I implement design. I also come up with community resources and places that they can go ahead and see what services that their child will need moving forward. So I get a lot of relocation clients moving from different states. With that, I have a continued support system where I'm constantly following up and creating coaching opportunities for them in a, in a Facebook group. You really have a great perspective of what needs to be done to be the best quality of life for your sister. So you're yes. able to help other people be able to discover that for themselves as well. I really love the family dynamic as well. I feel that everything, every time I've worked with a child, the most progress that I've ever seen in a child is because of the home and the dynamic of the family, of the siblings understanding why certain things are done. Growing up too, not having a lot of people advocating for my needs as a sibling also inspired me to advocate for the needs of other siblings. And when I implement coaching for autism families, I really dig into how the siblings are feeling. And it's not just about the dynamic of the parents or their child with special needs, but as a family as a whole. So I'm really passionate about helping everything and anything in the home, because I feel like that is the heart of where children truly progress. Wow. Yeah, that's amazing. That is a totally different perspective that you have as a sibling that you can help be able to navigate that for other people. That's amazing. So I, I feel the biggest thing growing up as an autism sibling is it becomes your identity is an autism sibling. And I had a little bit of, I would say an identity crisis the past two years, because I'm really passionate about helping children with autism. However, I found it really difficult to say, is this what my career path is, is always going to be autism or is there another avenue that I'm really good at? And being in the real estate industry was actually such a blessing because within my brokerage, I was able to explore marketing and business relationships and all of these mentors that I would have never had. When I opened my business, my pediatric therapy office, I was only 19 when I started my business and it felt very lonely. It felt, you know, yes, I've had, I had a few mentors, but not to the extent that I have today. So really feel that siblings have this identity view where they feel guilty of leaving, helping um, not just their sibling, but venturing off to a new career, or they feel guilty of leaving the home, or they feel guilty of not being that big support. 
for their siblings. So again, there's no perfect avenue. I'm still trying to figure that out for myself and my sister of what that looks like, but it's so empowering to know that it's not just your identity. It's truly what you were put on this earth for is that, and being able to explore that. So if there's any autism siblings, as far as your audience goes, I really encourage them to venture off into another subject, into another career path and truly see what their passion is, truly see what their calling is. And if they can integrate that into their passion of still serving the autism community as well. Okay. That's what I was going to ask you. What advice do you have or what tips did you do to be able to accomplish this kind of switch, but yet still using this in your life? It's hard when growing up as a sibling, you, I don't want to say it's not intentional, but your voice and your needs are taken from you, not intentionally, but because you view that your sibling has way more needs than you do. It's a sacrifice that a lot of siblings learn from such a young age. And it's great when they're adults, it's a great um, attribute to have. However, their voice gets lost. So really teaching the siblings how to, to advocate from the, for those, for themselves is so important, but also the support. And for me, that really changed when I started hiring life coaches and business coaches. And I started surrounding myself with mentors. That was such a turning point for me in not just my career, but in my personal life as well. And how I showed up differently for everything in my life was when I really felt that support. And you see a lot of the times where your sibling is the one who needs help. So you yourself have a very difficult time growing up. And then as an adult asking for help, you put a lot more on your shoulders and you're just used to people either not understanding you or they're used to not being relatable to your lifestyle is another big thing for autism siblings. But I also feel we're such, we're so evolving each generation when I was young none of my peers knew what autism was. In fact, a lot of them would just make fun of my sister as well. So I was really hard growing up with where just a few years ago, I went into the same with my same fourth grade teacher and I spoke about autism to her class. And when I asked the students who here knew what autism was, they all raised their hand. And I was so taken back because that was not the case when I was growing up. So to see that we have future generations having more of an awareness it feel relatable. But the big moment in that experience was when this little boy in the class, he raised his hand and he said, he called me Miss Natalie. And he said, Miss Natalie, I have ADHD and it's really hard for me to explain to my friends why I am the way I am. Can you explain it to them? I was floored from that experience because the fact that that little boy just asked one for help and two for somebody to advocate for him was it's an unexplainable feeling. So we're definitely doing our part as a community to have more awareness, which definitely helps the family dynamic for future generations. So Angie and I are like best friends. (laughs) She loves her coffee. She loves espressos. And one of the things that really helped in the home was teaching her how to do a lot of things independently. So adapting certain spaces like the kitchen or the bedroom or her bathroom vanity. So that way she can do independent things like blow drying her hair or her makeup being able to really learn how Angie learns and what the process is for her to learn all on her own. It 
also brings up this confidence in her. And it also brings a little bit less stress to the families because they're not having to do all the things for them all the time. So I can't express enough how teaching independence and learning how to teach that independence is so crucial for the family dynamic and the confidence of their loved one with special needs as well. So Angie's amazing. She blow dries my hair sometimes. She's awesome. (laughs) That's so great. And you guys all live together, you and Angie and your mom. Yes. In a house that you bought when you Mm -hmm. moved to Utah and you've been here for a couple of years now. So what's next? Buying my own place, (laughs) buying a second, a second investment property for myself. But right now I'm focusing a lot on, on coaching besides the real estate and um, interior design is a lot of the times families just don't have the funding or the money or the resources to pay for interior design. So a lot of the times I will coach them and walk them through the process of how to do it and what to do. And then a lot of families have a hard time relocating because they're so used to the services and the community that they have there. So just teaching them different ways to utilize the layout of their home is really important. But my biggest passion is coaching. And eventually I would love to be a speaker and a writer one day as well. So that's in the works for the five-year plan. Yeah, that's great goals. I love that. So as far as like design and stuff, you actually are able to sit down and coach and help people to make their homes more comfortable for people with autism that live in the home. Yes. So a great example is teaching families what their child's sensory needs are, or if they're going to an event that day, what are some gross motor activities that can really help regulate their emotions. And one simple thing that I tell families to do all the time is in the living room on the sofa to get a blanket that is more textured and pillows with different textures. And, um, like one could be fuzzy, one could be sequins. And just to have that variety is really good for a child that is very sensory seeking and a weighted blanket. That's a huge recommendation too. Something that simple, just how to lay out their family room. Yes. So a lot of designers will say, well, let's get, you know, the Bohemian or the Mediterranean or, um, the rustic or the farmhouse look where I look at things very differently. And I, and I look at more function and then we'll put the design afterwards. So yes, you can still have a very pretty home, but the intention behind the design is that your child is able to express their sensory needs, their language, their social skills within the home too. And teaching families how to do that is so, so crucial for their development and lifestyle. When I owned a therapy office and I worked in the school systems, I worked in camps, I've worked in pretty much all the settings that children with special needs um, attend. The one thing that we're lacking is home support. And a lot of times families will go to their therapists or their teachers and the teachers and therapists will teach them how to work with their child, but families don't really understand until you get into their home and you show them all the things that the multidisciplinary team is doing, and then you implement it in the home, whether it's design or coaching, which is what I do for families. Yeah. I don't know if it's something that they really think much about. They're so worried about, like you said, kind of more the mental side and the emotional side and the educational side. And you don't realize there's some things you can do in your home, some simple changes you can make to make it ease a lot more on the autistic person. 
And another example, while you're cooking, a lot of families will say, well, when I turn around, my child likes to, you know, go into their toys and make a mess. All all children do that, but there are ways to make it functional. And there are ways to make that experience of while you're cooking to expand your child's language skills. So get them another set of mixing bowls. And I'm not saying necessarily to give them anything over the stove, but have them work with you, even if it's cutting fruit with a plastic knife, whatever that is, the more engaged you have children with special needs and the more that they're able to view and model what they're doing, the more independent skills that they're going to learn in those very short situations. So my sister, for example, when she was little, I would always share a room with her and I would ask my parents, why don't Angie and I just have our own rooms? And they expressed how important it was for Angie to model what I did. And Angie, when she was little, she would literally copy everything I did from brushing my teeth to brushing my hair to choosing an outfit. So it's really important for them to model, to see and model those behaviors um, throughout the home, like routines and stuff. Yeah. Wow. That's great advice. I love that. I wouldn't even have thought of that too, because it seems like even with any kids, you could do that, you know, when right. they, they, do, they go <laughs> off and get in trouble and it's like, oh, I'm just trying to make dinner. But if you give them something, you know, Hey, stand over here or sit on the floor and, you know, pretend to mix something. I mean, that's a great idea right. anyway. So I love children that. love, children seek independence and the, that independence promotes confidence and it yeah just trans it just resonates into so many different wheelhouses in their life and i don't feel that we are conscious of that while we're going throughout our day we're thinking okay we just have to get dinner ready or we just have to get the laundry ready and we're not giving those opportunities for kids to just make mistakes it's okay it does not have to be perfect if they did not sort the laundry correctly it's okay the fact that they tried <laughs> well we'll, we'll get them going. So even something like laundry, the laundry room, I'll help the families adapt as well to help the child be more independent in that area too. Oh, that is so true. These little kids love to help though, too. What I've noticed, I have a two-year-old granddaughter and I was at her house the other day and helping her put away her and her sister's laundry. And it was so cute because I just pick up something and be like, whose is this? And she's like, mine. And then I'd pick up the next <laughs> one. It's her sister's. And so we were sorting it into different piles. And she was so excited. Anytime she saw something of hers, she'd just grab it and wanted to hang it up and put it away. And it was just cute. I thought, wow, I didn't realize at two years old, you know, she'd know her clothes and be able to help me put stuff away. And so it's amazing yeah. what they can do and what they love to do it too. Like she was more excited to come and be with me and help me put away laundry than anybody else would ever be. Right. So let's and it's use funny. That. And it's funny because so many times parents consider cleaning up their room to be a chore. Right. By the way, I, I hate the word chore yeah. <laughs> because it's a negative association to yeah. what they should want. They should want a clean space. They should want, you know, an area where they have a peace of mind or, you know, implement meditation affirmations throughout the day. And we are their best role models for that. So I really encourage families not to use the word chore, but I encourage them to, to treat kids like they're part of a team, which is the family. The family is the team. So this week, one member of the team is going to contribute to doing the dishes. One family member is going to contribute to meal planning, whatever that looks like. The more we can coach our parents and our kids to really work together as a team and not 
not necessarily against each other of, well, you have to do this and I have to do that. It's just teaching those life skills in a more positive way. And that really integrates for children with special needs as well. Yeah, it's amazing. Even your choice of words that you say, it's really cool how you even speak about it and how they're part of a team and how they can contribute instead of these are your jobs to do today. These are your chores to get done. You know, it's a totally different feeling when you are like, hey, you're part of this team and this is your contribution you get to make. It's like really cool sounding. Sounds right, so much better. They're going to get to work. They're going to a job one day. They're going to be part of a team. I mean, everything in life is a team. They're when they grow up and they meet a partner when they have their own kids teaching those life skills early is really important. But to be honest, I don't, I have a lot of gratitude for, and again, I'm working through a lot of coaching life and business coaching are definitely huge parts of my healing journey. But if I didn't have that experience with my dad, I don't think, I think I would have just been that typical 20 year old that just went off to college. And if I didn't have a sister with autism, I would have just went off to college. And I don't know if I would have known all the things that I do now, if it weren't for that experience. So it's, it's definitely a trauma, but it's a gift of how I can turn something like that and help other families not experience that. And I think that's where my passion and my fire comes from is I don't want siblings to go through what I went through. I don't want parents to go through what I went through or, you know, children with special needs the home is the safe haven. And that's the one place that I'm really passionate about tackling and helping families. Well, my biggest advice is to seek a support system and whatever that looks like, whether it's mentors, coaches, friends, just don't feel you have to go at this alone because when you become very vulnerable with not only yourself, but with others, you start to make connections that would have never been made if you didn't come out of a place of vulnerability and authenticity. And that's my biggest recommendation and advice to your listeners. I love that too, because I think we tend to think we're alone. Mm -hmm. And especially like you were saying, even feeling like, you know, the, the other sibling gets all the attention and you could definitely close down and just kind of hide. And I think it's important that we can realize like there's more to our life and there's something we can mm -hmm. contribute and we do need to seek out and talk to someone and get the help and advice and coaching and counseling or whatever it is we need to be able to live our full life too. Right. And it just because you ask for help doesn't mean you're not, you're not strong. It just means that you're having this awakening moment and you're realizing that in order to get to the next step in your life, you need a support system. So yeah, definitely creating community, creating community. I actually host a once a month social and it's really fun. I'm just starting it this month, but it's a, a glam, glam picnic style. And I do it once a month for about 10 autism moms or siblings above the age of 21. And we will start talking about things whatever that they decide for that month, um, on a coaching topic, but the intention behind creating that is not necessarily a social group where we're venting. It is a, let's be vulnerable, let's open up. And then how can we create that community within ourselves to reach out and just create a buddy system pretty much. Oh, so I perfect. will be starting that this month. Oh, that is so perfect. So how would somebody get a hold of you or learn more about that? my Instagram page. I will be posting all of that there. And also my Facebook. I only have 10 spots limited per month. 
So I will start having my email lists and everything. And um, you can get tickets for January, February, or March. And it's just going to be fun. It's going to be a girl's time and just empowering, empowering women and autism families through community. Oh, this has been so great. So informative to me. And I love that you went through this and you're sharing it with others because that's the key. You took those lemons in that hard time in that hard way that you grew up and you're making it easier on other people for what you went through. I'm just so proud of you. I just appreciate thank you. you that. So thank, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I feel like we all have lemonade and lemons in our life. That oh, we can all of us make yeah. out of, and it's a really beautiful thing when yeah. we see it. Thank you, Heidi. I greatly appreciate connecting with you and um, just learning more about you and just know that you're doing amazing things and you're connecting a lot of people, which is beautiful. You're the same. You're doing amazing (laughs) things. I love this. I love that you're not hiding. You are reaching out and using the gifts you've been given to touch other people's lives. So thank you for that. I appreciate it. Thanks, Heidi. It's been great to talk to you. You're still here? Well, then enjoy this little outtake from that interview. But I still want to hear about this Miss Utah thing. Yes. So I'm doing it for the second year. Oh, you were doing it again? Yes. So I got first runner up last year. And this year I'll be doing it again. And my platform is called Pieces of Inspiration, which is about... um, creating opportunities of inclusion for children with autism. And it's just so, it's so fun. The girls are just a bunch of empowering women that it's not about body size, color. Like it's so diverse in the way that we all show up and just the different passions that we have. And it's so many women who are doing so many good things in the community, which is why I joined it for a second year. Cause it was just, I almost, I got like depressed leaving last year. That's how great it was. The opportunity to get glammed up and um, we have a lot of meetups before. These group of women are making a lot of impact in the community and just to be surrounded by them is, is just yeah. amazing. And I love that you get like your city title or your county title ahead of time as well. And so even if you don't make it as queen or whatever, you still have that voice. You still have that platform. You still have that Mm -hmm. a representative of that area and you can still have opportunities to go and do things. So yeah. So part of, part of what I do for the advocacy is that I train law enforcement, ER nurses and firefighters on autism. And I will go ahead and do that throughout the year. So last year I had a lot of (laughs) cities to train And this year I'm pretty excited because the pageant is in March and autism awareness is in April. So I was really excited to know that I would have the pageant first and then my crazy month of April jam packed after the pageant. So that's amazing. Yeah. Well, good luck on the pageant. Thank you, Heidi. Again, that's so exciting. I mean, first runner up, you can only go, you know, so far from there. So that's pretty awesome to see how that plays out. So I'm excited. Thanks, Heidi. (laughs) 